Are we good to go? All right. Good evening. Welcome to Bible study. Those of you all in here and those who are watching on Facebook and those who will be uh, listening to it later on when it's posted. It's good to see you all this evening. We're in the last part of the book of Joshua in the last chapter, in the last section. Uh, we looked at verses 1 through 15 last week, looking at um, the covenant being uh, renewed and, and, and Joshua challenging uh, the people to serve uh, the Lord and leaving it up to them. So tonight we're going to finish this chapter and be finished with this book. And then the next book we're going to will be, will be the book of Judges. Now, we won't have Bible study next Wednesday on the 1st. We will pick it back up on uh, November the 8th, uh, the second Wednesday, not the first Wednesday. Next week, we, we won't be here for Bible study. So we're going to pick up the book of Judges after this uh, book, but we'll start that in two weeks. So let's look to the Lord and, and uh, pray for his help as we study the rest of this book tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for blessing us as we've gone through this book uh, of Joshua, the book that you wrote. And Lord, we thank you for what you have taught us about you, about the gospel, about Christ uh, in the Old Testament. We thank you, Lord, for the principles that we have learned, uh, the ways in which we are to live in light of what we learned. Lord, I pray tonight for your strength, for your help as I teach this text. May I teach it well to your glory. May I not teach man's opinion, Lord, but teach your truth. And Lord, I pray that you send the Spirit to illuminate the truths that we will hear tonight, to illuminate your word to us, Lord, so that we may hear your word and not only hear it, but to take heed to it and to live by your word and live by the principles that we learn tonight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So again, chapter 24 begins with a renewing of the covenant with the people, with the leaders. Joshua called the leaders and the leaders will go back to the people and uh, tell them what was talked about. So again, he gathered those fathers. And then in verse six, he talks about what God did in bringing, uh, calling Abraham and, you know, the patriarchal journey of Abraham and basically the journey of Israel as a nation from Abraham to Isaac uh, to Jacob. And then also too when they were in Egypt and God brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Brought them into the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. So that's basically what Joshua recalled in verses 6 through 13. And then he challenged them in verse 14. This is just recapping what we looked at last week. In verse 14 he recapped telling them to put away the gods which their fathers uh, had served. Put away the false gods. We talked about that. Verse 15, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. You know, we, 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 we talked about that verse. That's a very popular verse in Scripture. So he said, choose this day whom you will serve. So Israel had a choice. And he says, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land which you dwell. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said, you do what you're going to do. You serve who you're going to serve. I've laid out the case before you. The blessings that you have in serving God, all that God did for you in the past, leading you up to this point if you still find it bad to serve God choose who you're going to serve are you going to serve the idols of the Amorites and the Moabites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites he says you do that but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord so that was his choice for him and his house, him and his his people to serve the Lord. So that's where we left off last week. So he presents that to them, that challenge. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So now we get to the people's response. This is at verse 16. 
So it says here, the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did these great things or great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. So how did people respond? We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do it too. This is what they vowed. They vowed to serve the Lord. And why? He said, and they said, far be it from us <laughs> that we should forsake the Lord. Like, no, no. Not in a million years. Far be it from us. Let that not even be, be mentioned. That we would serve. That we would forsake the Lord. Our God to serve the other gods. After all that God had did. After all that Joshua had told them. That God did for them. Just to remind them. And I talked about this last week. How people who say that they're. they're you know they, they proclaim to be blessed by God. And. They're blessed and highly favored in there. And, you know, they, they talk about I'm blessed. You know, blessed and not stressed. You know, all these different things people talk about, about being blessed by the Lord. But are they serving the Lord? Are they bowing the knee to God and serving him as Lord? Or do they just say it with their mouths? Do they honor God with their lips? While their hearts are far away from him. Because remember. God blesses the just as well as the unjust. Through his common grace God blesses sinners. God allows the wicked to prosper. That's what Psalm 37 is about. David is lamenting the wicked prospering. God through his common grace and his general. God's common grace again is God's general goodness toward his general benevolence his general goodwill towards mankind that's what we call common grace that God blesses the just as well as the unjust he blesses the righteous as well as the unrighteous that's because God is a benevolent God he is a he is a good God he is a giving God so he will allow the wicked to prosper he will allow those who don't even care about serving him to prosper but they go around and say I'm blessed as if they did something good to earn that blessing from God when none of us can do anything to earn God's blessing God blesses us because he chooses to do that not because of anything that we've done and so the unbeliever should never think that because they're materially or financially uh, blessed that somehow they have good favor with God that doesn't mean that because remember we looked at Romans 2 last week but Paul says, no, you're not that the blessings that the goodness of God leads to what repentance. God blesses you so that you can turn to him and worship him as God. So Israel here. They said after hearing Joshua's challenge, they said, what we will serve the Lord. And why? For the Lord, he is the one who brought us out and our fathers out of Egypt. So their declaration is based on God's past dealings with them. How could they not serve such a great God? How could they not? They saw all that God did in the wilderness. They saw how God had defeated the enemies. They talk about this in this passage. Brought them out of the house of bondage. Did the great signs in their sight. Remember. How did God lead them through the wilderness? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw that for 40 years. God fed them out of the rock. They had water to drink. God provided them daily bread, manna from heaven. They had no other choice but to serve the Lord. But you know what's sad? We're going to see in the book of Judges that they forgot to serve the Lord. <laughs> Because this is how evil the human heart can be. A person can see all that God has done for them. And still not serve him. 
still not repent of their sins and turn to him and be saved. A person can still see what God has done for them in their life and still turn away from him. That's how depraved the human heart can be. And they can see all the goodness of God and still not serve him, still turn away from him. So Israel here, how could they not serve such a great God? You know, the writer Hebrew says, how can they neglect so great a salvation? People still neglect the salvation of the Lord despite what Christ did for them on the cross. So how can they neglect so great a salvation? How can they neglect so great a salvation? But people do it all the time. Don't they? So the scripture says, how can you neglect so great a salvation? We find that in Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews 2 says, look at Hebrews 2 and 3. So again, the people, they're saying, how can we not worship this great God? But they still end up doing it. So you look at, at Hebrews, look at what the writer in Hebrews says here. Hebrews 2 and verse uh, verses, I think it's 3 and 4. Because it begins by saying, uh, giving earnest heed. We read that scripture before. Hebrews 2 and 1. Let's look at the context of it. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Lest we do what? Just the way. Hearing the word. Hearing about Christ. Hearing the gospel. Take heed to it. Obey the gospel. Obey that call to repentance. He continues. The writer. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received as just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? So if disobedience to the older covenant of the law brought swift judgment, then how much more severe would the judgment of disobedience to those under the new covenant be? How can you neglect so great a salvation? That's why we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we heard. So the writer in Hebrews to us in the new covenant was saying, how can you neglect so great a salvation? Concerning what Christ did for us. How can Israel not serve God concerning what God did for them in the wilderness? So they had no other choice but to say what? <laughs> He's the God who brought us out of Egypt. So what do they say at the end? We will serve the Lord for he is our God. This is, is basically the same attitude reflected by the disciples. Turn to John 6. This is when Jesus, I, I referenced this last week, the hard sayings of Jesus. When Jesus preached the hard sayings about eating his body and drinking his blood and, and uh, some disciples that heard it left him. Let's look at the full context. So John 6. I'm going to go back to, let me go back to verse. We're in John, the sixth chapter. Again, this is in the context of uh, what Israel had resolved to do. So we're looking at John 6 here. 
again, while you got there, I'm, I'm going back to this chapter that we're in. We will serve the Lord for he is our God. Now, look at John 6. This is the discourse of Jesus says he is the bread of life, so forth and so on. That he would not lose those who, who God gave to him. That's in verse 38 through 40. All right, so look at verse 60, John 6. Therefore, many of his disciples, when he they heard, <laughs> well, what was the heart saying? Let's go back to verse 50. Let me see here. I want to get a good context of this. All right, let's look at verse 47. John says, I want to get a full context of what was happening in the verses that we're focusing on in John 6, 6, 66 through 69. All right. So let's look at verse 47 in this context. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. So the manna, what Jesus is saying is that manna in heaven was him. It was pointing to Christ being our daily bread. Okay, that's what that means. When it says, give us a day our daily bread, it's pointing them back to the manna that God gave them. Because remember, the manna was what they, they were to collect enough manna for each day. They were not to collect more than they needed for a day. So that manna that fell in the wilderness was a picture of Christ being our daily bread. So that's what he's confirming here. So anyway, verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they, and they are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, the Pharisees thought that he was actually talking about eating his own flesh. They thought he was talking about cannibalism. So we're going to see their response. What Jesus was saying, giving his flesh on the cross, giving his body as a sacrifice. That's what he was speaking of. He was talking about eating his literal body. But they being simple-minded and not seeing it spiritually, that Jesus saying he would meet their spiritual needs because that manna in heaven could not do it. So, what did the Jews say in verse 52? The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves. They failed to understand the spiritual truth that Jesus was saying. They were thinking with man's mind and not with God's mind. Then Jesus, uh, what, they say what? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? <laughs> Verse uh, 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most surely I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, woo, you have no life in you. Boy, why did he say that? He was using an analogy. It was a spiritual analogy. He wasn't talking about literally eating his body and literally drinking his blood. What, what, what Jesus was alluding to was accepting his work on the cross. That's why, you know, we take communion like we did last Sunday. You have the little wafer that symbolizes the body and the grape juice that symbolizes the blood. We're not actually drinking the blood and eating of the literal body of Christ. He says, do this in remembrance of me. But Jesus was talking about the need for accepting his work on the cross. But the Jews could not stand a crucified Christ. That was their problem. So here we go. For my flesh is verse 55. No, 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up uh, at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father so he who feeds on me will live because of me this is the bread which came down from heaven 
not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And these sayings he said in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Like, man, this is this is some really deep stuff. Okay. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the son of man ascended where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. In other words, I'm not talking about literally. This can only be spiritually understood. And they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that point on, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So those who couldn't take this hard saying, guess what? They were never of him, so they, they left. Now we have the twelve. And this is what they say. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So now you see the full context of that. Peter and the twelve heard the same sayings that these other disciples heard, but they left in the twelve stage. Jesus said, are you going to leave too? But Peter said, Lord, you alone have the words to eternal life. We believe that you are the Christ. So how does that point back to our passage in Bible study? Israel said what? We will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. They made that determination. Just like the disciples said, Lord, you alone have the words to eternal life. Who else are we going to serve? We will walk away from you. Who else are we going to serve? No, we're going to serve you as Lord. We're not going anywhere. So Israel is making the same promise that we will serve the Lord God. When we choose to follow Christ, it's a full commitment. As some people uh, use the phrase, we got to be ten toes down. All the way in, fully committed, no matter what. We cannot back down. We cannot give in. We have to be ten toes down. Lord, we're going to serve you. Israel said what? We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. So in our text here, verses 19 through 21. So Joshua cautions them. Okay, verse 19 to 21. He's not discouraging them. He's making sure that they are sure. Okay. Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve the foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said, okay. You can't serve the Lord because he's a jealous God. Again, Joshua's not trying to discourage them. He's not trying to discourage their faith. But he's trying to discourage a light commitment to following the Lord. This is not a light thing you're doing by saying you're going to follow the Lord. When a person gives their life to Christ, it's not a light thing. It's not a get out of hell free card. No, there's a commitment. What did Jesus say? If anyone comes after me, he must first deny himself. Take up his cross. The cross represents suffering. The cross represents rejection. The cross represents death to self, death to your ambitions, death to, to your will. That's what the cross means. Death to your will, death to your dreams. 
So he says, you must deny himself. Deny your rights to yourself. Deny who you think you are. Deny relying on your strength. So Christ said the same thing. Anyone who wishes to follow after me must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's be full commitment. Taking up our cross. Whatever it takes to follow Christ, we have to be willing to do it. Being a Christian is unpopular as it is not being a true biblical Christian, having biblical values. Guess what? It's not popular right now. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be called a transphobe. You're going to be called a homophobe. You're going to be called a MAGA Republican because you have biblical values, which are conservative values. You're going to be told that you hate women because you don't believe that babies should be murdered in the womb. That's the price of following Christ. You're going to be called those things. You're going to be called names. You're going to be ridiculed. You're not going to be part of the cool kids club anymore. Right now, it's not popular to be a biblical Christian. I'm not talking about people who Christians are name only. A person who is truly adhering to scripture. Truly living with the biblical worldview. You're not going to be popular. You're not going to be well liked. It's not that you go out there with the intent of being that way. That's just how the world is going to respond to Christ and Christians. So the commitment has to be there. Are you willing to live for Christ? Are you willing to take up your cross? No matter what it takes. Are you willing to stand on those values to dig your heels in and say I'm living for Christ whether you like it or not I'm going to follow Jesus all the way until he calls me home that's the commitment that we make when we give our lives to Christ when we repent and turn to Christ we're saying Christ you are Lord Lord whatever you say Lord whatever your will not your will not my will but your will. Joshua was telling Israel the same thing. Slow your roll. Make sure. Make sure. This is not a light commitment. They need to be reminded that they are serving God under a covenant. That's what Israel need to be reminded. And this covenant promised that they would be cursed for disobedience. Again, you find that in Deuteronomy 28. You find the blessings for obedience and then the curses for what? Disobedience. This is the God that you are serving. This is under old covenant. Again, Jesus said the same. He gave the same type of warning. Look at Luke, the 14th chapter. Turn to Luke 14 right quick. I just uh, referenced this. But look at Luke 14. We're going to look at verses, uh, beginning at verse 25. We're talking about the commitment that Israel was called, was challenged to make uh, with Joshua and the commitment that we as believers have to make ourselves when we're following the Lord. Luke 14, beginning at verse 25. And these are very strong words. That Jesus says. Luke 14 beginning at verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him. All these people following Christ. They see the miracles. They see the you know. Uh, people being fed. The, the, the fish and the loaves of bread. All these miracles being done. So Jesus. Jesus popularity began to spread. This is Luke's account. Great multitudes went with him. And he turned to them and said to them. Now, this is a cry. This is a plea. This is like a sermon. So he's speaking with a loud voice. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Allegiance to Christ has to be so Uh, true that it looks like 
You hate everyone else. You don't hate them. But what Christ is saying is, he is supreme. He is deserving of our supreme and utmost worship. Not everybody else. How many people put mother and father over Christ? How many people put brother and sister over Christ? How many people put wife and children over Christ? How many put their own life over Christ? Jesus is saying what? You can't follow him. You cannot be his disciple. And then he continues here in verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Remember that cross is, 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 is the cross of suffering, of, of shame, of, of scorn, of ridicule, of rejection. The possible death. It's a sacrifice to follow Christ. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and first do what? Count the cost. Man. Whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I, I kind of chuckled to myself because friend knows this uh, old church we was at, um, Elder Robinson, you know, the man that was building the house over there on uh, Cooper Avenue, and it, he always added to it and never finished it. Uh, Elder Robinson was talking about that man. Said, take that man up there, you know, little around, you know, he's been building on this house for all this long, and he never did finish the house, and it's been torn down since. But he never did finish the house. And he, Jesus continues on verse 31. Well, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes after him with 20,000. Think about that. And he continues. So likewise, oh, I'm sorry, or else verse 32, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Following Jesus requires what? Full commitment. And the thing is, you lose nothing by following Christ. Christ takes care of his sheep. He takes care of his own. He is the great shepherd. He is the loving shepherd who tends to and cares for his sheep. No other greater person to follow than Christ. No other God to follow but Christ. Christ takes care of his sheep. He takes care of his own. It is so sweet to follow Jesus because he takes care of us. He meets our needs. He prays for us. He is our high priest. He's interceding for us before Father right now, before God right now, God the Father. He, he pleads our righteousness before the Father, as Satan accuses us, Christ pleads our righteousness. We're we're clothed with His righteousness. We have been justified by grace through faith in Christ. Because of Christ, we can stand before God not guilty. Because of Christ, we can stand before God as one of His children, being adopted into His family. That's the great thing about following Christ. We're blessed, as as Paul said in Ephesians one, with all the spiritual blessings. In the heavenly places in Christ. It is a tremendous privilege and blessing to follow after Christ. The world can't offer you any of this. No one in the world can. No, no man can. No woman can. No, no child can. No dog or cat can. No job can. No amount of money or salary or no amount of of, of, of expensive vehicle or expensive home or neighborhood. None of those things can offer us what Christ gives us by following him, by denying everything else. So when we make that commitment to follow Christ, we have to go all the way. Jesus it, it, it wasn't that Jesus didn't want followers but he did not want it to be lightly made he didn't want rather lightly made and easily broken commitments 
Christ wanted true worshipers, true followers. That's why he gave that call out that we just read in, in Luke 14. So, in our passage today, we see the same thing. We see the same thing, that Christ did not want, he wanted real followers. He wanted real followers. He didn't want anyone who was not fully committed. Joshua saying the same thing. Don't make a light commitment. So. After challenging them. What did Israel still say? No. But we will serve the Lord. Because Joshua said. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good and people still said what no and this was the response that Joshua wanted a commitment made with full understanding of the consequences and this was under the old covenant they had to make this commitment understanding what the consequences were going to be if they did not obey it so what happens Verse 22 to 28, the covenant is renewed. So it says here, so Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves. That you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made them made for them rather a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of the Lord and he took a large stone and set it up under the oak tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us for it was heard all the words of the Lord which he has spoken to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you lest you deny your God. But Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. So, the covenant had to be confirmed by the testimony of two or more witnesses. That comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And those two witnesses were the people in the stone. So that stone was a witness. So this was a binding covenant. Deuteronomy 19 and 15 says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses that matter shall be established. So, in this case, it was Israel and it was the stone. Those were the two witnesses. Because he said again, that stone, this stone shall be a witness to us. So they had the two witnesses about this covenant that Israel, you said that you're going to follow. So it was a serious covenant that was being made. So he says, put away the foreign gods which are among you. So they said they were willing, right, to enter into uh, and obey the Lord's covenant. So Josh said, okay, put away those gods. Put away those idols. A man's promise to serve God loses his moral hold if he does not begin to put it into practice. One theologian said the grace that enables him to promise is that by the strength of which he is to begin the performance. So the same grace that God gives us to, to make that promise to follow him, he will give us the grace to perform that. When we come to the Lord, it's a process of sanctification. There are two types of sanctifications. Sanctification happens in two ways. You have positional and then progressive sanctification. Positional sanctification means the moment that you're saved, 
you're sanctified, you're set apart, you're a saint. That's what you know. Talk about it. Where the word saint comes from, you are a saint. Saint has nothing to do with whether you sinned or not. Okay, you're a saint because you're in Christ. Saint means set apart, sanctified. That's what that means. Not the holy role of church. That's not what sanctified is. Okay, sanctified. Saint means be set apart. You're you're anointed. You're set apart for God. You're separate. So that's positional sanctification. And then progressive means we progress in our sanctification as we walk with the Lord. Okay? The, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, works in us. And we walk out, as Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is him who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So God works in us as we progress in him to do his will. To put off sin and to put on uh, righteousness to put out the old man and put on a new man. That is something that we progress in, you know, as, as long as we live, as long as we, we walk in the Lord, we, we just progress more in our sanctification. So some things happen instantly. When God saved me, and it, it's not a sin to smoke cigarettes, but when God saved me, I was done with cigarettes within like a month. God saved me, I put away drinking alcohol. Drinking alcohol itself is not a sin unless you get drunk, but I want to put away altogether. Profanity, that left. God took that desire away. Going to clubs and having that desire to do all that, going to clubs and messing around with a bunch of women and all this stuff, God took those desires away. Some, some things happen right away. Because God has saved me. So some things change right away. Some things change over time. But the point is as a Christian you are going to progress in your sanctification. So the first thing Joshua told him to do is do what? Put away the foreign gods. And incline your heart to the Lord. Okay. You made this covenant. You agreed to it. Put away those foreign gods. That's what God calls us to do. Put away those idols. Put away those enslaving sins. Put away those things that easily tempt you to sin. Put them away. How committed are we to following the Lord? If we have to break off certain, I had to break off certain friendships. When I got saved. I did. People who I was smoking with and drinking with and partying with and all that stuff. Guess what? I had to put them away. Hey man, I, I don't I don't do that anymore. I wasn't part of the cool kids club anymore. You know what? I took a hit. But man, I was new in Christ. I was fresh. Now I had some I had some learning to do. I was what they call cage stage. I kind of went overboard with some things. But my heart was always in the right place of, of doing what's pleasing to God. I was I was very judgmental. Which was a sin. But as I matured in my faith. I learned not to be. Judging unrighteously. You know that, that type of being judgmental. Judging unrighteously. Sending people to hell. Sending, sending girls to hell. Because they wore pants instead of dresses. You know stuff like that. That we learned in the, in the holiness church. I, I had a lot of zeal. I was very very judgmental. But I was in that cage stage. I would just learn. I was. I was coming out just fired on all cylinders. But I had to be a disciple and I had to learn. And God with his patience and, and forbearance and uh, whatnot, he, he, he helped me in that area as I progressed. But the point is some things I put away right away. Some people I put away right away. Israel's called to do the same thing by Joshua, okay? You witnesses against yourself. Now, put away the foreign gods. Why? Because he knew that they kept them around, that they were going to entice them. And of course, that's when it happened. Spoiler alert. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. That's what he did. Joshua cut the covenant that day. So the covenant was done, it was sealed. 
Covenant is an agreement between two parties, basically. Like marriage is a covenant. Okay, it's, 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 it's a binding, it's a binding agreement. That means it, it has rules to it. If, if one person breaks it, it's, it's broken. It's a binding agreement, binding two things together, two parties together. That's what a covenant is. It's like marriage is a covenant. It makes the husband and wife one flesh union. That's a binding covenant that a husband and wife makes. When they get married, it's a binding covenant. It has some stickiness to it. Let's just think about binding. So, we have that part of it. And so now we get down to the death of Joshua and Eleazar. Eleazar was the high priest. So you have the leader of the people, Joshua, and then you have the spiritual leader who is Eleazar, the high priest. You have both of them dying. So now I came to pass, verse 29. After these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. Being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of the inheritance, of his inheritance rather, in Timnasirah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which, uh, which had become an inheritance of the children of jo Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. So Joshua died at a ripe old age. He was buried in the land of his inheritance where his people were. He was simply known as a servant of the Lord. There wasn't a great funeral or anything for him. And that didn't make him any less. He was just a great servant of the Lord. You know, I think about sometimes, my friend and I have been to funerals of, of people, especially like church people, bishops and all that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with honoring the person who's died, but some people just go way overboard with it. Instead of just saying, this person was a servant of the Lord. That's good enough. And you can say how they serve the Lord, but you, man, some people just go way out like, like, have a three-hour funeral. Joshua led God's people through the promised land. And it's just a simple barrier, 110 years old. Joshua was simply known and that's probably what he, what he would have wanted, just to be known as a servant of the Lord who obeyed God, who was faithful to God, who led God's people to conquer their land, to take uh, seize their inheritance. That's all he wanted. Just to be known as a servant of the Lord. Because it says here, it came to pass after the days of Joshua, the, the servant of the Lord died. That's the greatest title that we can have as believers. Is being a servant of the Lord. When we get to the end of our life, whether it's so-called, you know, cut short, or whether we live a long life and, and, and just die. As believers... We want to be known as servants of the Lord. Even on your job, you know, I talked about that this past Sunday. It doesn't matter what you did in your life. Were you a servant of the Lord? Did people know that? Did people see that? That's what matters the most to us. Where he can say to us, well done, good and faithful what? Servant. Servant of the Lord. Just that simple. 
and say, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. This was the greatest tribute to Joshua, that during Joshua's time that Israel served the Lord. They didn't apostatize. They didn't fall away. He had a godly influence on Israel. And then it said the bones of Joseph. This is. That means that in the wilderness they carried Joshua's bones. Remember Joshua. I'm sorry not Joshua. Joseph. My bad. What is Joseph? Joseph 50 and 25. Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying God will surely visit you. And you shall carry my bones up from here. Because remember Joseph died in Egypt. Now the thing is. Joseph's bones has been in Egypt for over 400 years because after Joseph died in Genesis, you know, beginning of Exodus says that there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, who didn't know uh, uh, Isaac, who didn't know uh, their father. This was 400 years later. So when the people left out of Egypt, they carried Joseph's bones with them. So Joseph's bones were over 500 years old. But they carried them with they carry his bones with them while they were in the wilderness those 40 years. And when they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. They were with them. His bones. And that's something. But that promise was being fulfilled. And then Eleazar. Eleazar was basically the last link of the, the wilderness generation that had passed. It was Joshua was one. And uh, Eleazar was the was the other one, and now his son Phineas was going to be the high priest. Come in, the high priest. It, it was passed down as an inheritance from the house of Aaron. So now that Eleazar is is dying, his son is going to be the new high priest. And it says they bury him. So as the generation that passed. They, each they were each challenged to conquer the land of blessing that God had given them. And we'll do the same thing as we pay close heed to our Joshua who is Jesus Christ. As we pay attention and worship our Jesus Christ and guess what? Our Joshua who is Jesus Christ, guess what? We will inherit our promised land which is heaven. Follow Jesus. Repent turn from your sins follow Christ and you too will experience the promised land which is heaven amen so we will stop right there thank the Lord for the time in his word